Hi, I'm Curious City's Jason Mark. Temperatures have been bouncing up and down lately in Chicago, but Mother Nature won't let us forget it's still winter. Several inches of snow anticipated Thursday. Which means plenty of salt is still needed to melt it. IDOT and Cook County Department of Transportation will have crews out tonight treating the roadways. The Chicago Department of Streets and Sanitation is deploying more than 200 salt trucks starting at midnight. But all that salt doesn't come cheap. For the winter of 2022, the city budgeted about $18 million for salt. And it buys it all from one vendor, Morton Salt. Yeah, Morton Salt, like the one you eat. The one with that big warehouse on Elston Avenue. You may have caught a glimpse of its big white roof from the highway. You can't miss it with the oversized Morton Salt name and the famed Morton Salt Girl logo. You know, the girl with the umbrella. That warehouse is actually part of a complex of buildings that was the headquarters of the Morton Salt Company for decades. Which brings us to this week's question from Robert Feldman, who wanted to know what's happening to the old Morton Salt Complex now that so much of the area around it is being redeveloped. Well, it's being turned into a mixed-use development with a music venue as its focal point. It's a very specific site. It kind of screams out to be an arts and music community playground. We'll tell you all about that. Actually, historian Paul DeRica is going to tell you about that and about Joy Morton, a civic leader who helped shape Chicago and a Gilded Age tycoon who created a salt fortune. That's next. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Curious City is supported by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime at no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Curious City today to get 10% off your first month. Morton Salt is one of the oldest businesses in Chicago, tracing its origins to the late 1840s, when it began as Richmond & Company, distributors of salt. When gold was discovered in Northern California in 1849, Americans rushed west to seek their fortune. One thing everyone needed to bring with them? Salt. Salt was a key ingredient for food preservation as folks made their trek west. Demand for salt grew, and so did the company. In 1889, Joey Morton bought a major interest in the company, named it after himself, and would turn it into an iconic American brand. According to a Chicago Tribune article from the time, no salt was mined in Chicago, but almost the entire industry flowed through the city, with the salt coming in and then moving out through a network of railroads and waterways across the country. From the 1880s through the early 1890s, the state that produced the largest volume of salt was Michigan, conveniently located near Chicago. Ludington, and later Manistee, along the western shores of Lake Michigan, provided the salt for Morton. 
The operations there started as lumber mills. The mills wanted to increase their revenue, so they paid to have long shafts drilled down to the salt beds, sometimes as far down as 2,000 feet. The salt was loaded onto large freighters and sent across Lake Michigan to Chicago to be packaged and distributed for sale around the country. In order to decrease costs and increase profits, companies like the one that would become Morton Salt began buying up the mills and mines in Michigan, becoming producers as well as distributors. Some companies prospered, others fell to competitors. But by the early 1900s, Morton Salt dominated the industry, with 500 train car loads of salt arriving every 24 hours to the Morton plant in Chicago. The man who gave his name to the company, Joy Morton, came from a prominent family that could trace its roots back to pre-colonial times. His father, J. Sterling Morton, served as the territorial governor of Nebraska and was a secretary of agriculture under President Grover Cleveland. But he's best remembered today for establishing Arbor Day. Just six years after arriving in Chicago from Nebraska, Joy Morton would be running the salt company that still bears his name. Morton was a man of his moment. By the standard of the time, Joy Morton appears to have treated his employees well. In a Tribune column titled Men You Read About from 1890, Morton is described as, quote, well-liked by all's employees and very generous. Morton also supported cultural institutions, like the Chicago Historical Society. And he had a pivotal role in the famed 1909 plan of Chicago, where the legendary architect Daniel Burnham remade the city, particularly the lakefront. Morton was instrumental in hiring Burnham and worked closely with the man as the plan unfolded. Plant trees was the Morton family motto. Joy wanted to create what he called an outdoor museum of trees. In honor of his father, Morton transformed his land in Lyle, Illinois, into the Morton Arboretum. The Arboretum, which is 1,700 acres and has 16 miles of hiking trails, remains an important center of research and a popular destination for Chicago-area residents. The same newspapers that praised his role in civic affairs also ran stories about financial irregularities, questionable favors, and lawsuit after lawsuit from individuals who felt defrauded by Morton. One of these individuals, a Dr. Arthur Dean Bevins, called one of Morton's schemes, quote, an outrageous piece of high finance. Bevins claimed Morton defrauded the Great Western Cereal Company to the tune of $300,000, and then, without consulting minority stockholders such as himself, sold it to its chief rival, Quaker Oats. The move was dubbed the Oatmeal Trust Scandal of 1911. And then there were the railroads, like the Three Eyes, Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa, which Morton bought in 1898 with the help of his brother Paul, an influential man who worked for the railroads but only after allegedly working behind the scenes to divert freight from it so that the railroad would be worth less and purchased at a lower price. Or you could always make a 5,000-foot-long railroad spur, essentially your own section of track, leading right to your warehouse, so your brother Paul, who happens to be vice president of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad line, can get you such fantastic shipping rates that you can undermine and wipe out your competition. The resulting scandal would eventually lead to congressional hearings and ultimately reform of the railroad industry during Theodore Roosevelt's administration. 
One of the chief witnesses asked to testify was Roosevelt's Secretary of the Navy, none other than Paul Morton. We tried the costly experiment of being honest in the thing, living up to the laws we understood, Paul said during the investigation, and we lost so much business that we found we had to do as the Romans did. Eventually, Paul had to resign his cabinet position, but managed to fall upward, becoming the president of the Equitable Life Assurance Company. Like his brother Paul, Joy Morton also survived these scandals. They simply remained accusations. And the business continued to grow. Part of that growth included moving the company to the location you've probably seen from the Kennedy Expressway at Elston Avenue. Coming up, the site gets a new life as a mixed-use development that will include a major music venue called the Salt Shed. That's next. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. The Morton Salt Complex was built between Elston Avenue and the Chicago River for two reasons. The location reflected Joy Morton's belief that industry should be situated west of the city's business center and away from Lake Michigan. And Morton believed inland waterways should continue to play a critical role in commerce, even as railroads and later highways offered alternatives. The buildings were designed by the same architects that created the Field Museum, the Wrigley Building, the Merchandise Mart, and many other Chicago icons. What's called the West Shed was the largest storage facility in the complex, and that's the one hundreds of millions of drivers have seen as they make their way in and out of Chicago on the Kennedy Expressway. You know, that was always one of those iconic beacons of of, of Chicago existence. You know, driving downtown where I grew up in the northern suburbs, you know, when you hit the Morton Salt sign, that was really the moment when you were like, hey, we're going downtown. That's Bruce Finkelman, managing partner of 16 on Center, a group that owns and runs restaurants like Revival Food Hall and live music venues like Empty Bottle and Thalia Hall. 16 on Center is turning part of the site into a live music and entertainment complex, which they'll curate and manage. But Finkelman doesn't consider the complex just another space to put on concerts. I mean, here's this property that that resides smack dab in the middle of Chicago, you know, and has so much history as part of the Chicago architecture and trying to leave as much as that as the original intention is really important and kind of what we're trying to preserve. Last July, Chicago City Council granted the site landmark status, meaning certain elements of the buildings must be retained by the owners, even as they convert it for other uses. We did leave a lot of the original space intact when we were building around it. You know, that was the whole fact is like not how we could scrape the land and build something new. We wanted to keep the roof alive. We wanted to keep its integrity in place and readapt it to be able to be used in a different in a different manner. 
So what are some of the original elements that people are going to see when they go to the rehabbed space? Well, the shed itself is intact, which was first and foremost one of the things that we wanted to see happen. You know, years of salt, you can only imagine what that'll do to steel. Also, the outside proscenium that will frame the outdoor stage is the original steel framework of the east shed. Also, different pieces of the conveyor belt system that would take the salt from the boats into the packing house is still intact. And there's so much that we also have managed to save and and I hope that people will really get into when they see the space. One of the key elements that will stay in place is the giant Morton Salt lettering and the famed Morton Salt Girl logo on the roof. The venue is set to open in August, and ticket sales have already started for the summer lineup, including performers like Andrew Bird, Iron and Wine, Sharon Van Etten, and Mount Joy. It would be nice to say that last band was chosen to honor Joy Morton, but it's only a coincidence. Boats from Michigan, laden with salt, no longer dock on the Chicago River. And none of Joy Morton's heirs work for the salt giant. But the company has kept corporate offices in the city. The salt Morton sells is no longer mined in the Midwest. These days, it comes from Louisiana. But there's little doubt that Joy Morton and his salt company added real flavor to the city's history. The various business scandals seem of their moment, but could easily occur today. And then there's the salt, which we continue to use on our food and, in a slightly different formula, on our roads. Proving that after almost 175 years, as the Morton Salt Girl says, when it rains, it pours. Thanks to Paul DeRica, Director of Exhibitions at the Newberry Library, for that reporting. This episode was produced as part of a collaboration between Curious City and the Newberry. Curious City is supported by the Conan Family Foundation and produced by me, Jason Mark, and by Joe Dassault. Adriana Cardona-McGigod is Curious City's reporter, and Maggie Civet is the digital and engagement producer. Asia Singleton is our intern. Alexandra Solomon edits the show. To ask your own Curious City question, head to our website at wbez.org slash Curious City. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you back here next week. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.